What an awesome song, you know? No guilt in life. No fear in death. That's amazing. That is what we have in Christ, isn't it? It's so awesome. We're going to be looking at uh, Philippians. Uh, today we're going to go right to the middle of the book, but in the next few months we're going to look through the book of Philippians and find out what it says to us in 2022. And so uh, so glad that you come Turn in your, in your Bibles, however, to chapter 3 today. We're going to go right to the center of the book and talk about one of the things that Paul challenges us to do, and I think it's very apropos for the first Sunday of 2022. Uh, but let's, let's start with prayer. Father, as we turn in our Bibles to your Word and look at it, we ask, Lord, that we wouldn't just hear it with our physical ears, but, Lord, that we would hear it right down in the heart of our being that we would experience you speaking to us, you challenging us, you calling us to renew our commitments that we have made to you long ago. And so, Father, we, um, we ask that you would speak, that you would use me, Lord. I pray that my words would be uh, filled with your power and that they would accomplish what you want it to accomplish in our hearts today. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, this morning I thought I'd start with a with a story. Uh, it's a story I read a, a book about ten years ago, uh, and it just captured, captivated my imagination. I love this story, um, and so I'm going to give you a sort of the Coles Notes version this morning. I, I don't have four hours to tell you the whole story, but the story is about Louis Zappaneri, uh, and uh, he's a He's Italian by birth. He was born in 1917. Uh, he's passed on now, but, you know, he lived a long life. He grew up in Torrance, California. His parents spoke uh, Italian at home, and his first introduction to English was, you know, in the playground and then eventually at school. He had a really troubled childhood. Uh, he started smoking when he was five years old. <laughs> uh, started drinking when he was eight. Got into all kinds of trouble, was stealing stuff, was, was just not... He was heading down that road to delinquency, absolutely. Um, and one day, he was in the bleachers at his school, and he wasn't supposed to be there. And some teachers came and uh, told him to get out of... The, or tried to catch him, actually, and he ran. And he outran the teachers. And they're like... They finally just give up, and this kid just takes off like a madman. And his brother sees this, and uh, Louis's brother goes, "Hey, Louis, you, you should join the track team. You're really fast." And so Louis signs up for the track team, and it really changes his life actually, because he's really good at running. And so uh, he 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 becomes known as the Torrance. Tor- tornado, actually, because he's so fast, and he actually wins his school championship, and then he goes on to win the state championship, and then two years later, after he won the state championship, he ran the mile in four minutes and 21 seconds, which is blistering fast, especially for a high school student, um, and and that record actually stole, uh, stood for 19 years in the state, okay? Uh, but he pressed on, and he became good at what he was doing until the Olympic 
committee found out about him and asked him to join the Olympic team in the, in the 1936 Olympics, which was in Berlin, of all places, right before the Second World War. All of these countries go to Berlin and compete in these games. And uh, so he's, he's entered into the 5,000-meter race. This is a long race. It's five kilometers long. It's, it's like grueling. Uh, he... Until today, he's the youngest person to ever be entered into that race, 19 years old. Uh, he's running the race. He's not doing so well. He's near the back of the pack. And after running for four and a half kilometers, he puts on his sprint. <laughs> he, he bursts out of the back and starts passing one athlete after another, just bombing around this track, the 400 meters. He did the last... 400 meters of this race he did it in 56 seconds which was 10 seconds faster than anyone who had ever completed that lap before <laughs> like 10 seconds i mean this guy was just burning uh, he only got in eighth he came in eighth place but that's still is pretty impressive for this young guy um and it was so impressive that the crowds went wild watching him they just couldn't believe this guy putting on this burst of speed. It's so much so that Hitler wanted to meet him. And he did. He wanted to meet the guy who, who did the final lap so fast. And, and so they met. He shook hands. And, and then after, after that, it wasn't long before the whole world exploded in war, right? And so Louis signed up for, to be a bomber on a, a bomber squad and he signed up to uh, and he got posted to a um a um b 2024 20, lancaster uh based out of hawaii and he started flying the south pacific and so on his first bombing run they're bombing a uh an island in the in the pacific and uh, they hit so much shrapnel and got shot at so many times, the plane was almost completely destroyed. It was, it was completely full of holes when it came back. And they managed to land the thing. And, uh, but wouldn't you know, they're all gung-ho to go out again. <laughs> like, really? And yeah, so he pressed on. And he was going out again uh, on sortie after sortie, doing whatever they told him to do. Well, it wasn't about a month later in May uh, uh, that he was out on a, on a mission to uh, a search and rescue mission out in the Pacific Ocean, about 800 miles from Hawaii. We're talking way out in the, you know, Hawaii's in the middle of nowhere. 800 miles from Hawaii? That's absolute nowhere. <laughs> and he's out there, and their plane malfunctions. And it goes into a dive that they can't pull out of. And they hit the water at unbelievable speed. And uh, the impact kills 11, uh, eight of the 11 members of the crew. And then the whole crazy aircraft is sinking to the bottom of the ocean. And poor Louis is caught in a whole bunch of wiring that has been wrapped around him somehow in the accident. And it's pulling him down into the depths of the ocean. But he's awake and he suddenly realizes what's going on. And he's trying to pull this stuff off himself to get out of there. He finally manages to do so uh, before he, he loses his last breath. He swims like a madman up to the surface, breaks surface, gasps for air... And uh, looks around and, and he sees his buddies there. Two of his, two of his co-team uh, uh, are in a life raft. 
And they grab them, haul them on board, and then they sit there and go like, okay, now what are we going to do? They're out in the middle of nowhere. They got no radio. There's, you know, they're wondering, is anybody going to come looking for us? They were on a search and rescue mission themselves. Now they need to be searched and rescued, but nobody knows where they are. Uh, didn't take long for uh, them to be declared dead, missing in action, and letters came to uh, his parents' home from President Roosevelt declaring that their son had perished in battle and uh, very sorry for the loss. But they weren't dead. They were out in this raft. And after three days, uh, they saw an airplane. So they shot off a flare and hoped to be rescued, but the airplane didn't see them, and they were tragically disappointed. Well, it doesn't, doesn't take very long when there's only about two chocolate bars on board and one little can of water. It doesn't take very long out there in the South Pacific to start dehydrating and starving. And after a week, two weeks, three weeks, not eating anything, barely getting enough to drink, whenever it rains, they would try to get the wa- collect the water as best they could. They were surviving on a few drops of water per day. Sharks swimming around in the water. Uh, finally, one day, a, uh, a pelican lands on their boat. And they grab the pelican, rip the feathers off, and just start chomping into it. Real raw meat, because they were so hungry. Well, within a couple hours, they were all throwing up all over the place. Because uh, raw meat and starving men don't go well together. And uh, they got very sick and... But then they used the, the entrails of the pelican to, make some, to put on some fish hooks. Fish, they, anyways, long story short there, they're basically surviving, but not quite. After 33 days, one of their members succumbs to uh, malnutrition and dies. Um, and or, or sunstroke or whatever he got. And so they bury him at sea and carry on. And, oh, but just before their friend dies, uh, they they see an airplane off in the the distance. And they're like, no way, an airplane, fire up one of those flares. They fire up the flare. Nothing happens. They fire up another flare. The plane starts to turn, and it's coming towards them. Yay, they're saved. And then as the plane comes closer and closer, all of a sudden they realize it's diving straight at them. And suddenly, bullets start tearing up the water all around them. It was the Japanese Zero coming in, dive-bombing on their position and strifing them with their machine guns. And uh, Louis dives over the edge, swims down as far as he can get, while the bullets he can see tracing through the water. He's freaking out. Uh, when he comes to the top, uh, he goes to his buddies. They're okay. But then the plane turns around and comes for another strafing run and blows the living daylights out of their rubber uh, boat, and now they're out in the open ocean with a flat inflatable boat. Not very helpful. They patch it up as best they can while swimming around it, and uh, and then blow air into it to to get get it some flotation to it again, and then climb back in it. Their buddy dies. They bury him at sea. And after another two weeks of this, it's. 47 days. They say that this is probably the longest that anyone has ever survived in the ocean 
uh, without supplies. Uh, 47 days. And finally, a boat comes alongside and rescues them. Well, so they thought. Unfortunately, this is when the horrible ordeal starts. Okay? This is when it gets bad. And you're thinking, what? What are you talking about? Yeah, this is when the Japanese take them, bind them up, and toss them into a POW camp. Uh, Louis, who is 160 pounds, he's now 80 pounds. He's just skin and bones. Can you imagine entering a prisoner of war camp with 80 pounds on you? Like, nothing. They don't feed you properly in these camps. They They work you half to death. And he gets there, and after about a week, the prison guard realizes who he is. He's an Olympic athlete, a star. Hey, this guy would make a good propaganda machine. We're going to break this guy until he says that we are the best country, that his country shouldn't be in this war, and that we're treating him right and doing, doing well by him. Well, Louis will have nothing to do with this. He's like, no way am I going to say those things. And so the leader of the camp starts to beat him and harass him and torture him over and over again, using psychological torture and physical torture, deprivation of sleep, deprivation of sunlight, deprivation of food, deprivation of water, everything you can imagine to break this guy. But Louis won't be broken. You know, when he was out on that raft, he had said to God, God, if you save me, I will spend the rest of my life serving you. And he did that to the best of his ability there in, the, in that consecration camp. And he would not be broken. And they did horrible things to him. Some of the things I can't even talk about here because they were so awful. But some of the things were like just punching him. And one, one time they got all the prisoners of the entire camp, 200 prisoners, to punch him in the face because they wanted to break him. Using his own friends, his own comrades to beat him up. And everyone had to land a punch. And if they didn't do it hard enough, they'd have to do it again. Until his face was just a mass of blood and broken and messed up. Like a boxer that's been beaten to a pulp. And this kind of thing went on and on and on. Had to hold a steel beam over his head from dawn till dusk. Can you imagine? 80 pound guy. Not having enough food. Broken. He was challenged to race against one of the Japanese boys. Of course, he couldn't. He fainted on the way because he's malnutrition, whatever that word is. Anyways, he was starving. This went on and on and on. And the main person that had done this to him, the prison officer, uh, they used to call the bird. I can't remember what his real name was. But... uh, It was a horrible existence. But you know what? He carried on. And you can read about this in the book called Unbroken. He was unbroken. He just carried on, pressed on. You can also watch the movie Unbroken. It's just amazing. Uh, amazing story. And in August 1945, the U.S. liberated uh, them from the camps and o- overtook Japan. And uh, so Gary Christ of the Washington Post wrote this. 
Rarely has a single man had to endure such ordinary, uh, extraordinary array of woes. <laughs> yeah, no kidding. This guy was incredible. He's <laughs> one tough dude, I'm telling you. Um, so why do I tell you this story? Well, one of the reasons is because we've been through some tough times. But I wanted you to just compare it to someone else. <laughs> you know, someone who's really been through some tough times. You know, COVID-19 doesn't really compare to this, what this guy had to go through, what Louis Zamperini went through. These two, these two years, these two past years, they seem like a walk in the park. For me, they've been, actually last year was, this year, last year, was a great year for me. I got three new daughters-in-law. But I know for many of you, it's been really tough. But honestly, in comparison with Louis, nothing. But it reminds me, his perseverance, it reminds me of the Apostle Paul. You see, the Apostle Paul went through a lot of stuff too, just like Louis. And the Apostle Paul, he pushed on Instead of, in spite of his difficulties, in spite of it all. This is what he wrote in the middle of the book to the Philippians. He was trying to encourage the Philippians, and this is what he wrote. I press on to take hold of that which, for which Christ Jesus took hold of me. Brothers and sisters, I do not consider myself to have taken hold of it, but one thing I do is I push on, I press on, forgetting what is behind, straining to what is ahead. I press on towards the goal to win the, the prize, the high calling of God. For which God has called me heavenward in Christ Jesus. So after two years of COVID, another massive spike in the cases, everything's shutting down again. My goodness. I think we need a little dose of this pressing on attitude. Amen? Amen. Yeah, we need a little shot of this stuff. Uh, now we could listen to Bob Dylan sing some songs about it. You ready to listen to Bob Dylan? Uh, no, let's pass on that, you know. <laughs> or how about the, the Relian K? They, they also put out a song, you know, pressing on. Uh, uh, we'll pass on that too. Because really, Bob Dylan, Relian K, they haven't got the credentials to talk about pressing on. Oh, sure, they might have had some tough stuff in their life, but nothing compared to Louis. Nothing compared to the Apostle Paul. I mean, these guys, they can talk about pressing on. And the Apostle Paul, you know, you want to hear the Apostle Paul's credentials for pressing on? <laughs> he also was shipwrecked and set out to the open sea for day and night. Uh, not just once. Three times. Don't ship with Apostle Paul in the boat. It's the moral of the story there. <laughs> he gets into shipwrecks a lot. <laughs> he, he too was tortured for his faith. He was flogged severely, exposed to death again and again. Five times he received 40 lashes minus one. When, the, when you get whipped in the Roman world, you get whipped nearly to death, okay? That's what happened to Apostle Paul. Three times he was beaten with rods. He was pelted with stones until he was left for dead. Frequently imprisoned, constantly fleeing for his life, going without sleep, 
knowing hunger, thirst, often cold, naked, (laughs) stressed out looking after the believers, lowered in a basket to escape into the night. This guy's done it all. And he's the one that's talking about pressing on. So if we think we've got it bad, let's listen to this guy who's been through the ringer. And let's see what he has to say about pressing on, keeping going. I press on to take hold of that for which Christ Jesus took hold of me. What an awesome statement. I love this. You know, the Apostle Paul, he's going on and on about, you know, uh, I've taken hold of it. Uh, He's forgetting what's behind. He's straining on. He's pressing on. He's straining forward. He's, He's pressing on to get the prize. But he's in jail. (laughs) He's in jail when he's writing this. Can you imagine? He's not out there like some evangelist on the street preaching the gospel. No, he's stuck in jail. And in jail, he's pressing on. He says, it doesn't matter. I don't care anything about what happens to me. All I care about is pressing on to take hold of that for which Christ Jesus has taken hold of me. What an awesome guy. You know, he's writing to the Philippians to encourage them. And he writes to them in verse 15. You can read it. He says, follow my example. And his example is, I'm pressing on. I'm keeping it up. I don't care if I've been flogged. I don't care if I've been beaten. I don't care if I've been shipwrecked. I don't care if I'm in jail. I'm pressing on, my friends. This guy's amazing. (laughs) He blows me away, really. Uh, uh, But let's go back to the passage. What is what is the Apostle Paul pressing on to? What, what, what's, what's his goal? What's the, what's the prize uh, to, and the goal? He talks about a, a goal, a prize, and that for which Christ took a hold of him. What is, what is he pressing on to? What does he want to grab a hold of? What is it? You know, a lot of commentators have looked at this passage and they say, oh, well, that's easy. He, he's talking about the resurrection in the verses before. And if you look in the verses right before it, verse 9 through 11, uh, it says that his goal is to know Christ. Yes, to know the power of his resurrection, to participate in his sufferings, become like him in his death, and so somehow to attain the resurrection from the dead. So from these commentators are saying, well, yeah, so he's pressing on to attain the resurrection from the dead. But I think of that, and I go, but that really doesn't sound like Paul. Paul knows very well that salvation is a gift. You don't press on towards salvation. You don't press on to get to heaven. You you receive it as a free gift. It's, It's all over Paul's writing, so it seems a little strange that he would say that he could somehow attain to the resurrection through all this stuff he's doing. Ah, but you see... What he's really saying is not about the resurrection. He's, he's not somehow attaining the resurrecting by all this work. No, he's doing all this stuff because he's a believer. And somehow, mysteriously, that causes him to attain the resurrection. It's, he recognizes the rec- resurrection from all of his writings. He's unmistakably saying the resurrection from the dead that he's going to experience at the end of his life, that is through the power of Jesus Christ and through that alone. So what is he really saying here? Uh, if he's not saying that I'm pressing on towards the resurrection or to, to uh, attaining eternal life, 
What is he saying? Well, look, look carefully at, the, at these verses. The main emphasis here is to know Christ, right? He wants to know three things about Jesus Christ. The first thing that he wants to know, uh, no, back up a slide. He wants to know the power of his resurrection. <laughs> he wants to experience the resurrected Christ in his own being. Secondly, he wants to participate in Christ's sufferings. Thirdly, he wants to become like Christ in his death. You see, that's how he feels like he can really get to know Jesus when he's suffering for the same cause, when he's becoming like Jesus in Christ's death. He says, that's what I want to know about Christ. And these things will eventually lead to his salvation, of course, because he's saved. And these things are part of being saved. It's to participate with Christ. In a few minutes, we're going to participate with Christ in his suffering through communion. But I think Paul had a much bigger picture than just communion. I think he literally wanted to experience the power of God, the power of the resurrection, coursing through him to other people. And you know what? I think he did experience that, don't you? When he raised this lame guy up off the street and they started worshiping him as a god because of the miracle he just performed, I think he did, in fact, experience the power of God coursing through him, the resurrection power of Christ. I think when, uh, when he blessed handkerchiefs and sent them out to sick people and the sick people got the handkerchief and they got better... I think he was experiencing the power of God, uh, the, the power of Christ's resurrection in his own lifetime. And I think when he was being beaten and whipped, <laughs> I think he was participating in, the, in the, uh, the sufferings of Christ. He became sort of like Christ in that regard. And I think when he was being stoned to death and left for dead outside the city, oh, he's dead, he's gone. I think he had become like Christ in his death. So, in fact, Paul was experiencing these things that he longed to experience. He was facing them. But these things didn't come from striving after the resurrection and, and, and heaven. That wasn't his goal. Sure, that was, would be his eventually, but that's not what, he, what caused him to strive and fight and, 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 and work so hard at. No, it wasn't that at all. He was pressing on to take hold of that for which Christ took hold of him. That's the clue we have. He was pressing on towards the goal to win the prize. Well, what was the prize? The clue is in that first line. I press on to take hold of that for which Christ took hold of me. What does that word, that, what is that? What is he trying to take a hold of? Well, it's the same thing. We got a clue right there. It's the same thing for which Christ took a hold of him. Well, why did Christ take a hold of Paul? What, why did he do that? Anybody? <laughs> yes, you're on the right track. Absolutely. Yeah. 
And when, when did Christ take a hold of Paul? On the road to Damascus. Yes, of course. You know the story. He's, he's out there uh, muttering murderous threats against the Lord's disciple. He's walking down the road. He's got his whole little army with him. Swords, spears, clubs, the whole nine yards. He's heading over to Damascus to take Christians captive. And on the way, suddenly, boom, there's this bright light shining around him. And a voice says, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? He was known as Saul back then, by the way. And Saul said, Saul's like just shocked. And he responds to the Lord. Remember what he said? He says, who are you, Lord? Now, think about that statement for a second. Who are you, Lord? <laughs> it doesn't even make sense. He's calling him Lord. He doesn't even know who he is. I think that was the moment Jesus got a hold of him right there. Because he knew he was the Lord. He knew that this was no ordinary thing. There's a voice talking to him from heaven out of a bright light. I mean, this is, this is right from, you know, encounters of the fifth kind or whatever. They, that's, I mean, this is bizarre. And so he's right away calling this person Lord. And of course, what does the Lord say? I am Jesus whom you are persecuting. And then he goes on and he says, now get up and go into the city and you will be told what you must do. Ah. He's about to be told the reason for which Christ got a hold of him. He says, hey, I got a, I got a purpose for you and I've got a hold of you now. So go into town and I'll tell you what to do. Okay, we've got a clue here. Something, something's going to come up. What's going to happen? Well, the Lord comes along and he talks to Ananias says, Ananias, you got to pray for this guy Saul. He's coming to town. you got to pray for him. Ananias is like, Lord, the dude's coming here to arrest us all. Why why would you want me to go pray for him? And the Lord says this to Ananias. He said, go. This man is my chosen instrument to proclaim my name to the Gentiles and the kings and the people of Israel. I will show him how much he must suffer for my name. Oh, do you see it there? That's the reason Jesus got a hold of him. So that he might be a chosen instrument uh, to proclaim Christ's name to the Gentiles and to their kings and to the people of Israel. That's a big deal. And that he must suffer for my name. Oh, we're starting to put it all together now, all this talk about suffering with Christ. Right from the very beginning, when Jesus got a hold of him, he knew his mission. He knew what he was called to do. He knew how he was called to do it. And he knew he had to abide in Christ to do it. This is all through Paul's writings. You might think like, well, that's one little verse. No, 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 no. This is all through Paul's writings. In fact, even Luke writes about it. In uh, chapter 20 of Acts, um, Uh, Luke writes that Paul says in Acts 20, I know only that in every city the Holy Spirit warns me that prison and hardships are facing me. However, I consider my life worth nothing to me. My only aim is to finish what? The race. And complete the task that the Lord Jesus Christ has given me. 
the task of testifying to the good news of God's grace. This is why Jesus got a hold of him. And Jesus went through a bit of problems to get a hold of this guy. I mean, he didn't use some preacher on a street corner. No, Jesus himself had to show up, call him from heaven to get a hold of him. Why? To do this pretty big task, to proclaim his name to the Gentiles. And in Galatians chapter 1, Paul says, Hey, I'm Paul, an apostle, sent not by man, nor by a man, but by Jesus Christ and God the Father. He's very clear about who he was. Then in Titus chapter 1, verse 3, I think we have some technical difficulties with our, our uh, PowerPoint. Sorry for the slowness, but it, apparently it's the computers in the back. So just listen to what I have to say. <laughs> in Titus chapter 1, verse 1 to 3, he says, Paul, a servant of God, an apostle of Jesus Christ, to further the faith of God's elect and their knowledge of the truth that leads to godliness in the hope of eternal life through the preaching entrusted to me by the command of our Savior. And he goes on to say, I'm not ashamed of the gospel, for it's the power of God to bring about salvation, first to the Jews, then to the Gentiles. Paul knew exactly why Jesus got a hold of him. So I want to ask us all a question this morning. This is a very important question. Why did Jesus get a hold of you? Have you ever thought about that before? Why did Jesus get a hold of you? Paul knew very well why Jesus had gotten a hold of him. And when Paul says to press on, He's not saying like, oh, last year was a really bum year, but we'll just carry on, I guess. No, not at all. He's saying, I'm pressing hold of that, to, I'm trying to grasp of that which, for which Christ grabbed a hold of me. He's saying, I'm on the same page as Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ got a hold of me, saved me, wonderfully, miraculously saved me. I was a persecutor of the church, but Jesus reached down, got a hold of me. And for that, I'm, I'm on the same page as him now. I'm, on the, I'm doing the same thing. I'm winning the loss for Christ. But what about you? What about you? Why were you called? Why did Jesus get a hold of you? For me, it was... Uh, it was 47 years ago that Jesus reached down and got a hold of this young teenager's heart and said, turn to me. And then five years later, he reached down again and got a hold of my heart again and called me into the ministry, which to me was bizarre. I was not a public speaker. I'm not a, I don't. But he called me. He said, I have a purpose for you. And you might say, well, pastor, I haven't had an experience like that. Oh, are you a Christian? If you're a Christian today, then God certainly has reached down and gotten a hold of you. Because it says that even our faith is not of us, but it's of the Holy Spirit. He is the one who initiated that work for you to come to faith. And so Jesus got a hold of you. And, you say, and, I, and I just want to ask you, so why did Jesus get a hold of you? 
What's your purpose in life? Why are you pressing on? Paul made it very clear. Well, you might be going like, I don't know, pastor, tell me. Okay, I'll tell you real quick. I'll give you some verses, okay? And maybe in them you'll say, oh, yeah, that's right. Yeah, that's, yeah, that's why I'm called, okay? John 15, 16. Jesus says, you didn't choose me. I chose you and appointed you so that you might go and bear fruit, fruit that will last. What kind of fruit lasts? You know, we, we were, <laughs> Jennifer just brought some fruit out of the fridge the other day, and it was all bad. We threw it all out. What fruit lasts? I'm telling you what fruit lasts. Fruit unto eternal life. When you win someone to Christ, you walk them through the sinner's prayer, they put their faith in Jesus Christ, that fruit's going to last into eternity. There's going to be another soul in heaven because you shared the good news about Jesus Christ. Awesome stuff. That's the kind of fruit we're talking about. Romans 7 verse 4. So, my brothers and sisters, you died to the law through the body of Christ that... Here's the reason that you might belong to another, to him who raised, who was raised from the dead. Did you know that that you were you became a Christian so that you belong to somebody else? And guess why you belong to somebody else? Hmm. In order that we might bear fruit for God. Same reason. We belong to Jesus Christ. When we get that through our thick skulls, we start to see our life completely different. We're suddenly like. Oh, this is my purpose. This is my calling. This is why Jesus saved me, is so that I could save other people. This is why Jesus saved me, so that I could be his and, and, and used by him for his glory. This is why he saved me. This is amazing. Jesus came to the disciples and said to them, All authority in heaven and earth has been given to me. Therefore, Go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, and lo, uh, and teaching them to obey me, uh, teaching them to obey everything that I have commanded you. Surely I am with you always, even to the end of the age. What an amazing thing! Jesus says, "This is why I called you. This is why I got a hold of you, so you could do this stuff. Go to all the nations." Preach the gospel. Teach people how to follow Christ. Teach people about the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And guess what? Jesus is going along with us on the journey. (laughs) That's an awesome thing. (laughs) Well, you know, when I read these words of Paul this week, I, I really, I did approach the sermon as, oh, COVID's so rotten, but we gotta press on. But after reading this, studying it, and realizing what this passage is really saying, realizing that, oh yeah, that's why Jesus got a hold of me. Man, I got all fired up. (laughs) I got excited about ministry. I got excited about being a part of the kingdom of God. And we get to live this thing and press on. So it's great advice. One thing I do, forgetting what is behind, but straining for what is ahead. You know, oh, oh, I'm sorry. The line before that. Brothers and sisters, I do not consider myself to have taken hold of it. Paul was saying, you know, Paul was the greatest missionary that ever lived, right? And and he's saying, oh, oh, sorry, I'm supposed to stay up here so that they can keep me on. (laughs) 
I got to stay up here so that the camera can see me. I forget these things sometimes. <laughs> uh, but Paul is saying, hey, I haven't arrived. Even though I'm the greatest missionary I ever, he didn't think he was the greatest missionary I ever lived, but he was. And he's saying, I haven't arrived. This is a process. You don't ever grow out of it. You always are in this battle. Secondly, he says, I forget all about the things in the past. You see, in the past, Paul was a persecutor of the church. In the past, Paul was nodding and, and holding onto the jackets of everybody as they were stoning Stephen to death. Paul was a murderer. He was complicit in that. And Paul says, Christ has washed all that away. I forget all about that stuff. I press on. You know, maybe you made some mistakes. Maybe last year was a blowout for you. I don't know. Maybe, maybe things went horribly wrong last year. Paul says, forget about all that. We need to be like this guy I heard about who lived in a, who was an elderly man. He moved into an old age home. And, uh, you know, he got to, started getting to know the people there. And, and he met this wonderful lady. And they started hanging out and hanging out all the time. And after a while, he decided, hey, I'm going to pop the question. You know, here's this old man, this old lady, you know. And, he's, and he, he proposes to her, will you marry me? You know, and, uh, and then the next morning he wakes up. And, and he, he's like, shoot, what did she say? I remember proposing to her, but I can't remember if she said yes or no. And so he goes and he finds her and he says, you know, I'm so embarrassed. But after I proposed to you yesterday, I don't remember whether you said yes or no. And she's like, oh, thank goodness. I remember saying yes, but I couldn't remember to whom. (laughs) Uh, That's the way we got to think of our past stuff. It's just gone. Just completely gone. Uh, Isaiah says, Remember not the former things, neither consider the things of old. So let's not get hung up on this COVID thing. Uh, God is calling us heavenward. So we're, we're going to look through, for the next couple of months, we're going to look through the whole book of Philippians. Dig out how in the world do we press on in the middle of nasty stuff? How do we do that? We're going to get equipped on how to do that. How uh, to take hold of what Christ has taken hold of us for. Um, Now I want to finish the story that I started at the very beginning of Louis Zampaneri. You know, during his uh, time out on the raft, you might have remembered that he had called out to God and said, God, if you would just save me, I will give the rest of my life to you. Well, he got home from... Uh, from that POW, or yeah, of course, then he went to a POW camp, which didn't turn out so good. Got saved out of the pan into the frying pan, as they say. But then, eventually, he got rescued, and he went back to America, met the love of his life, got married, and started living for God. Not. You see, he had been traumatized. He he had been. Uh, broken, really, even though he, the movie's called Unbroken, but in, inside there was something wrong with him. And even though he got married and even though he had kids, he couldn't handle it. He couldn't handle the pressure, the pain. There was the whole ordeal overshadowing his life. He had bitterness in his heart. He was haunted by the painful memories and the, the other men that he saw suffer and die. 
And the memories would flood back in and he would have nightmares. And he started drinking and smoking. And basically, he had all the symptoms of what we now know of as PS, what is it? PTSD, post-traumatic stress syndrome. He had everything, all of it. And he was just messed up. And he couldn't live his life. He was a wreck. And his marriage was falling to pieces. They'd only been married a few years, and it was already a disaster. Uh, but, you know, one day his wife said, hey, there's this revivalist downtown. We should go and hear him. You know, didn't you say you were going to follow God and all that? Yeah, 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 okay. And so they went. And that night, Louis heard Billy Graham preach a message about salvation. And that night, Louis really understood that Jesus suffered for him. And Jesus went through all of that hell for him. And that night, he gave his life to the Lord and asked the Lord to wash away all his sin and be cleansed of all the bitterness. And you know, that night, he slept for like a baby for the first time in years. He didn't have a nightmare that night. And in fact, in, 20, in the year 2012, he said to the news people who were interviewing him, he said, I have never had a nightmare since that night. And you know, he quit drinking cold turkey that night. He quit smoking cold turkey that night. His life was completely changed. He started doing business uh, prosperously. Started, he just became a changed person because Jesus Christ came into his life. And he wanted to help other people who were struggling in life. So he opened up a, a, a teen uh, home that would take in teens and help them rebuild their lives and follow Christ. And he became a missionary. You know where he went on his mission trips? To Japan. <laughs> he went back to the country that had tortured him and shared Christ there. And one of his main reasons for going back there, he wanted to find the bird, the man who had tortured him, that he called the bird. Remember him? He wanted to find him. You know why? To offer his forgiveness. This is what the Lord had done in this man's life. He completely changed him. Talk about pressing on. He went back to Japan numerous times. The last time he went back to Japan, it was the year of 1998. It was the year the Olympics was happening in Japan. And I want you, want you to see this little video of Louis. He's 81 so, years old. Zamperini found another track to his past. The torch. There wasn't much question as to who would carry the torch through Nawetsu, the city which was once his prison. Louis Zamperini had no competition. Who could possibly compete with that smile? The 81-year-old ran for a kilometer, didn't set any records, didn't need to. He set those. <laughs> Can you imagine? He's carrying the Olympic torch in the city that he was imprisoned in. And he's smiling from ear to ear. And the next generation Japanese are cheering him on. And 
What a guy. I love this guy. Talk about pressing on, going for the gold. This guy was amazing. He even died on the 4th of July. <laughs> Patriotic, my goodness. 